Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. My name is Richard Rudowski. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at LBT. I recently sat down with my longtime colleague, Jim Lash. Jim joined LBT as a missionary to Liberia in 1973 and has worked in LBT international programs in several capacities since then. Nearly everyone in our organization, myself included, have been mentored by Jim at one time or another, and his long-standing service and experience are a gift to us all. So sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing from a legend. Glad that you're here on the podcast today, Jim, and uh, it's it's a real privilege, actually, to, to talk to you and, and get your thoughts on things. And for our listeners, uh, Jim has worked with LBT for a number of years, 46 years, and um, he was my boss when I joined LBT as a brand new missionary. In fact, when uh, we came, my wife and I came to LBT's um, recruitment event called Idiom in 2003, I remember being really impressed with Jim. We meet a lot of people at things like that, but uh, Jim was so much fun and just the way he talked about language. And we had our little son, uh, Matthew, there with us. He was uh, a toddler and uh, Matt liked to make noises, kind of blow bubbles out of his lips and like that. And uh, so he did it to to Jim and Jim goes, what a great bilabial trill. And uh, so that was my first linguistics lesson. But uh, so, Jim, it's uh, great to be with you. And thanks for sharing your time with us today. Well, thank you, Rich. It's uh, wonderful to join you here today and to talk about Bible translation and how God is at work uh, through that ministry. Thanks. So tell us how you got started in mission and and connected with Lutheran Bible Translators. What were you doing before? How did God lead you to serve with LBT? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, and actually I was in college training to be an industrial technology teacher here in Illinois, uh, United States. And I learned about Lutheran Bible Translators and uh, some of their missionaries, and my wife and I were praying and supporting a couple of those missionaries. But one in particular sort of challenged us and said, well, what about going yourself? We got so many uh, groups of people and languages, uh, and they were in Liberia. John Dutzman is his name. And and so he says, well, why don't you go to the SIL school in the summertime in North Dakota and just give it a try? And so I was working at the time at one of uh, uh, actually the Lash Dairy in Bloomington, Illinois. My uncle uh, was the uh, owner of that establishment and kind of a extended family affair. And he said, well, tell you what, why don't you go ahead and go to the school? I'll keep giving you a paycheck <laughs> during wow. those uh, eight weeks. And so he said, well, how could we not say yes to that? And so we went to the linguistic school uh, run by uh, SIL International, and uh, it was just a whole new picture of foreign language. I tried studying a foreign language uh, actually in college, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my prayers was like, whoa, once this is over, Lord, I don't want to study another foreign language again. <laughs> kind of see where it got me. But <laughs> yeah, right. But it was just a whole new way of looking at language and how languages work. And it was a a tremendous Christian atmosphere where uh, our teachers were experienced, Bible translators, and uh, made learning. It was really, really hard, (laughs) but it was also a great blessing. And it was kind of like a door opened up after this. And so that was the career path I followed. And uh, went on to, you know, finish my degree in linguistics and 
then go to Africa uh, with Lutheran Bible translators. Yeah. So what did you do your bachelor's work in? Had you been you'd been to school before? Yeah. So, no, I switched majors and switched to uh, uh, linguistics at that point. Okay, gotcha. Very good. So then you uh, you went to Liberia, did not go to the Vietnam War. So that's kind of part of the story, right? That uh, it is. So while we were in uh, our second round of linguistics training, we did one in North Dakota and then we were in Dallas, Texas. And because I'd switched majors and switched schools and everything, my draft deferment for going to the Vietnam War was uh, canceled. And so I got this letter in Dallas, Texas, saying you got to go down to the the federal center and report for a physical exam. And so I got in a car and actually one of my LBT colleagues uh, went with me. And that day it snowed in Dallas. Well, there was like a couple (laughs) inches of snow. And, you know, what's a couple inches of snow? You know, for us from uh, Illinois, Iowa, you know, we just like saying, okay, let's go on down there. And we got down there and I walked up to the building and the guard said, what are you doing here? This place (laughs) is closed. You should not be here. (laughs) We're, (laughs) and so he said, okay. (laughs) And so everything had to be rescheduled. But in the interim of that rescheduling, then President Nixon canceled the draft. And uh, so I was like off the hook there and I could continue with my linguistic studies and Mm -hmm. Uh, then eventually getting to Liberia. Yeah. So, so when did you go to Liberia, and how long were you there? What what languages did you work with? So my wife Laura and I went to Liberia in November 1973 with our uh, uh, one and a half year old, and uh, the first language we worked with was uh, Northern Grebo mm-hmm. uh, languages, and there were a few other things we did uh, in preparation for that, but. Uh, we did that for about eight years. Okay. So eight years there in the language work, and then you were working in administration part of that time? Or? So we worked with the Northern Grable people. We were there about eight years, but I had other duties also during that mm-hmm. time. I also worked with a language in Western Kron, where translation work was going on. Uh, we also taught at workshops and other events. Uh, for the mission. And then uh, I made this turn uh, while serving in Liberia to coordinate uh, all the scripture programs in Liberia. So I moved away from eventually uh, from the Grable work and someone else picked up that task. And I had the great privilege to work with about 14 or 15 scripture projects in Liberia with our missionaries and uh, the national colleagues at that point. So it was a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoyed that because things that I had learned in uh, my project in early years, I could help other missionaries uh, and also interact you know, with their translators. Uh, maybe they were gone for a while, and so I would be the point person to sort of oversee that work and connect with them. Many great uh, blessings uh, because of that. Yeah. So, you know, right now, Luther Bible Translators has a little more, uh, just over 50 missionaries worldwide. How many missionaries were in just Liberia at that point? So if we think of like a missionary family or a missionary single worker, I would say there were about 26 Okay. So. Yeah. So, like, how was LBT's approach different at that time and 
and how was it the same? Maybe what, what, how would you kind of compare? Well, uh, some things that are the same is that we always gave a lot of uh, good training to our missionaries and so that they knew about the Bible, they knew about biblical languages, they knew about linguistics, they knew about the language and culture uh, where they're working. And that has been a value that has stayed uh, strong through mm-hmm. all the years. What was different was uh, as a mission and uh, missionaries, we made a lot more of the sort of decisions, uh, whether to tra- make, whether to start a translation, where to start it, when to start it, what kind of research needed to be done. And uh, today it's, it's different than that. Uh, I, I like to think that we now serve in a role of uh, walking alongside of our uh, partners, mm-hmm. uh, whoever they are, and we're responding to needs and requests and things that they are aware of, and so that we work together to see that God's Word is available for all people. Yeah, so then anyone who worked with you in Liberia at that time or, or even in the years since then uh, know about uh, the very famous Joe Cool stories. So how did Joe Cool stories get started? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, this was one of the very first things I did when I arrived in Liberia. I said it was November 73. And then about six weeks later, our mission collaborated with the University of Liberia to run a vacation institute for training in applied linguistics, VITAL it was called. And so I was the new greenhorn young missionary, and uh, actually I was taking some classes at that school. Mm. And then in the afternoon, missionary kids of our other missionaries were out of school. They had been in school in the morning, but the school day uh, has a different structure. And they said, well, these uh, kids' parents are still busy with things, running the VITAL program. But you, you have time. You now entertain and play with these children. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was one of my first jobs was uh, child care uh, for uh, elementary age kids. And uh, we played games and so forth. But, uh, you know, out in the tropical heat, it's like you couldn't play games outdoors all that time. So we'd say, okay, let's take a break. And we went under the palm tree. And that is when Joe Cool uh, began. And so he uh, he's the, the main character in stories that I tell to kids, and he uh, has all kinds of adventures, and he solves problems, uh, mysteries, and crises. And uh, I'm sure he could have a solution for the coronavirus, too. Yeah, it's just somebody's <laughs> got to take the time to ask for a story, I guess, probably, huh? So yeah, there we go. Do you have a, a favorite one, a favorite Joe Cool story? Well, I'll just say the, the the fun part of the joke, I don't have a particular story. In fact, I don't even remember them all. I have not <laughs> recorded them. I have not written them down. <laughs> Actually, all the missionary kids who have listened to them through the years can remember many of them better than me. But uh, one of one of his, the fun parts of it is that he has the Joe Cool Mobile. Right. And the Joe Cool Mobile, it's like, it can like turn into anything. It can like burrow underground. It can go in water, it can fly. It can even go up into space. <laughs> and uh, it always gets new enhancements as uh, different stories uh, are devised and uh, whatever the need is. Yeah. So somebody is very mechanically gifted behind the scenes working on that Joe Cool mobile. <laughs> they any certainly idea, are. Any idea how many Joe Cool stories you've told over the years? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so one of the times I used to tell them a lot was uh, we'd have uh, 
sort of a mission missionary conference uh, or meetings twice a year uh, sometimes and all missionaries and missionary kids would gather together and and so that was the time everybody said can we have a joe cool story and yeah, so right. they, we would uh, tell several stories during those periods of time so i'd say that maybe there's been anywhere from 10 to to, to 30 uh, in the year okay times 46 years and yeah <laughs> Do the math. Serious then. math, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have uh, we have leaders in this organization now who uh, who, who are missionary kids who will still stop what they're doing if they get the chance to listen to a Joe Cool story. So it's pretty pretty cool. So uh, Jim has been part of the administration at LBT. Uh, you started in '73 and then did some administrative duties on the field. By is it 1985? Um, 86. 1986. I came back in. And uh, I've served in a couple of different roles uh, in the uh, the headquarters of uh, LBT, but it's always been in the area of sort of equipping missionaries and working with our partners and uh, the programs that we run so that uh, I never finished a, a translation. Mm-hmm. I like helped one get started and I worked on a couple of different languages at various points. But I figure my role is to help other missionaries and partners and translators so that they can do their job, so that translations are done with good quality and are acceptable in the community and done in a way that it's going to provide God's word for a long time for a group of people. Yeah, that's that's really a great perspective is there's, there's, there are some folks who are gifted and the time that God allows them is is to work in that one translation and that's great and then you've had the privilege to be able to use your gifts to multiply those efforts and you know in the time that uh, LBT has existed about 55 56 years we've published 44 publications kind of milestone new testament or full bibles in some of the most uh, remote languages in the world and you've been in administration for 41 of those 44 which reach about 12.4 million people so that's a real a blessing, a testament to God at work, and I don't know any reactions or thoughts. Well, it, kind of numbers? it is. Uh, it's actually kind of humbling, and uh, as I look at the list, it uh, I can probably tell you a story about something that took place in each one of those yeah. particular languages and the people that were there. Uh, you know, a lot of LBT work is in Africa, but we also did work in South America for for many years in a language called Kanyari. Mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll never forget visiting our missionaries there. And we were actually out one evening, and they were doing a film showing of, uh, I think, Jesus film or something like that. And while we were at that film showing, there was a large group of people. And as we were coming away and coming back to the missionary's car, other people uh, in the area came and pushed boulders down onto the road blocking it so people could no longer leave (laughs) and it was like i felt like okay this is opposition to the work here yeah and it's trying to discourage the word of god to come through but nevertheless uh, we found a way to get around those boulders move some of the boulders and it just gave me a perspective that not everyone is always wanting to see the word of God go forth, uh, be proclaimed in the language of the people. Yeah. 
and yet it just sort of gives us strength to keep on going. So you uh, recently were traveling in Tanzania, where we are uh, working on a more emerging partnership with uh, Lutheran Church there, and um, I guess maybe talk some about the, the the partnership in Tanzania and and some of the work that we're we're doing at this point. Sure. Well, this is one of the things I'm most excited about is this yeah. partnership with the, the Lutheran Church in Tanzania, and it's a very large uh, Lutheran church. And they contacted uh, LBT uh, some years back saying, uh, hey, we have these languages here. They're, they're minority languages, and people really aren't understanding the gospel and, and the work of the, the, Bible, uh, the, the Bible and the work of the church in Swahili, the national language. Can you help us? And so uh, after visits by a number of people, and uh, I and uh, Dr. Michael McGann have been going there kind of regularly and working with the church. And so one uh, translation program has begun in the Karewe language. And uh, we also had meetings on this trip to uh, open up discussions about another language down in the north central diocese. Uh, which is a whole nother area. And these are usually very remote people groups. Uh, some of them are nomadic and uh, they just you know, have their own language, their own culture. This is how God has created them and how they still, you know, how they live today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's great to see the Lutheran church and uh, even like the Bible society, you know, want to make the gospel available in that language. So we're there to work alongside of them and help uh, provide training and equip uh, the work to get organized and uh, training to take place uh, so the Bible can be uh, written. Yeah, it's it's such a blessing to, to think that um, there's that church who's saying, um, we have this drive, this goal given to us by God that it's kind of moving us to want to reach out to these folks and we recognize the need for scripture as part of the invitation to come and work. That's, that's, um, the door is already open or, you know, the scripture is going to be put into someone's hands and it's going to, it's going to be used. So that's a, it's a huge blessing. It is really. And, uh, one of the, at one of the programs, I think it was last year, uh, I saw that, they were the choirs have always had songs in their local language yeah but when they sing those songs uh, in their local language it just are so meaningful and now to hear god's word uh it's just beginning but uh, to hear that also in the heart language it just uh, brings to life actually uh the re- worship the preaching and uh, people's response yeah so while you were on that trip um, we got news here that you know, the coronavirus, we'd already been preparing for it and, and had some contingencies. In fact, you led the the effort on that while I was doing some traveling earlier than that yet. But so we got the word that that um, it had come to the United States uh, in a bigger way than was planned. And our leadership at uh, the United States government announced they were closing borders and things and, and things started to change out where you were to kind of walk us through. What happened, some of your experience with that and, and how it how you got back home? <laughs> yes. So Dr. McGann and I were there for about three weeks, and or that was the original plan. But uh, after that first week, it's just like every day there was a change. And then uh, we uh, 
began to see that, okay, maybe we should come back quicker. So we rebooked our flights and then some of those flights were canceled. So we rebooked again with a different routing. And uh, then those flights were canceled or pushed on to a later date. And yeah. uh, we got thinking, well, how if they get pushed off to a later date, what if they're canceled? You know, what what's going to happen? So I called back to you, Rich, and uh, said, well, I think we should try to leave here as uh, soon as possible. And maybe it just has to buy a new ticket rather than trying to use our existing tickets in the carriers sure. that we had. And uh, you gave us the go ahead. So we were able to secure those tickets and fly back the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Just for what it's worth, I don't know, in inside information for the folks listening, but there was a, that was the one time probably in LBT history where everybody flying just about was uh, flying in first class just because <laughs> that was what was available to get people home is everything was just coming, coming uh, down. It, it felt like being in a, like movies that you watch where you see all the contingencies not holding up and, and you're trying to figure out where to go next before it all just comes falling down. Yeah, well, the nicest part of flying, uh, it was in a business class section. It was, it was like we got to the airport and it's like, whoa, here's this big, long line of people who were like waiting to go through this security check. And I said, yeah. was that true for business class? He said, no, you can go to the short line over here. So <laughs> oh, we were very thankful. <laughs> That's another lesson for everyone listening. Sometimes you just got to know the right questions to ask at the right time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, you talked about uh, being excited about your work in Tanzania. Uh, anything else that you're feeling really good about, excited about in your uh, in your current work? Well, it's just the uh, the notion that you know God is at work through His people and uh, throughout the whole world in ways that we cannot imagine. And mm-hmm. so we always need to be listening to like saying, okay what's my role here to to do a witness in this situation and our brothers and sisters in africa in particular they have such a, a zeal for uh, for mission for uh, yeah. carrying the gospel and the good news to people and uh, the bishop of uh, uh, elvd and in Tanzania, Bishop Goulet, he just like has this passion and drive for uh, carrying the gospel uh, to every person. And uh, that that's contagious. That's just uh, so exciting uh, to work with. And uh, we don't have to be apologetic. We, <laughs> we can actually say, well, praise God and uh, let's get to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. He's he's really amazing. I saw this video of him um, where he's talking about the passage in Luke and he's saying, you know, we we interpret this in our language. You go go into deep water and let down your nets. And he's just so passionate about that. It's it is really uh, refreshing to see how the church in in the areas of the world that maybe a lot of our listeners might think of as places where there's still a need for a missionary to go. They're the, the most effective missionaries and really have have uh, embraced the faith and, and uh, taken fully on the, the idea of the Great Commission to go and, and share that with others. So what are some things that you wish worked better even now or at any point in your career as you think about, you know, this is this is work that has its uh, it's complex, huh? It is. And so I. I want to sort of uh, balance, you know, our talking about the Tanzania situation with 
in many other countries, like in Liberia, Sierra Leone, parts of West Africa where I've worked, the the eagerness to use the minority language is often not so great. Okay. And uh, the, that because, you know, language is uh, a great gift of God. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that uh, all of these diversity of languages were created by God as well as people's cultures. And uh, but it's also important for people to get education to uh, be unified as a nation. And so we find that in countries there really are multiple languages that are used and in use in any given time and place. And sometimes the church Christians and uh, educators don't always see the value of the minority language. And so they insist on using the majority language, the language of wider communication or the national language. And those are important languages, don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but they should not be used at the expense of the person's own uh, heritage language and their own mother tongue. Because when people use their mother tongue, it just like makes a connection. It's part of their identity. So my wish, I guess, if I could have one, is that people would stop and think that 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 too is a treasure. These languages and cultures of people's uh, heritage and of their origin, they should not be tossed away They should, or forgotten about or lost. They should be used uh, for the purpose that they can. Now, it's not my final decision to say you must use this language. It's up to the people themselves to decide what they want, but they they should be encouraged, and we try to do that. Yeah, it's it's true. I, I can remember the first time, I guess, the message of Pentecost hit me a little bit differently. It was, what again, one of these recruiting events I was at LBT for, and um, one of my predecessors, Walt DeMoss, was giving devotion for the staff and the recruits. And it was from the just the story of Acts 2 and Pentecost. And it like it's almost second nature to me now. And we've uh, probably a lot of our listeners have heard the story before. But just that it was so clear at that time, in that moment, how the the removal of barrier of language to really just go straight to the heart of everybody listening was what God did and how he decided to act. And uh, that's just a, such a beautiful story. And then later in Acts, when uh, Paul there's a riot and he's arrested and then you know the crowd's about to to go crazy and the the guard says well you better get out there and say something and so Paul starts speaking to them in the Hebrew language it says and then everybody was just quiet to hear him and it does these stories of speaking in the second or third or fourth but the language that's that's closest to the heart for people are powerful stories and those are testified even in scripture well you know one of the things that gives me uh, great joy is when I see that actually happening and uh here's an example uh pastor john boondah is one of our partners in uh, sierra leone he's the uh, leader of the lutheran ch- church there and uh has also been a, a literacy teacher and uh so he came to know christ as a as a young boy in liberia mm-hmm. actually and then uh, moved to sierra leone but it was all centered around the teaching of the bible uh, in the local language, his Kisi language. And as I worked with uh, Pastor Boondah uh, through the years, it, it was just such a joy to see how God had given him this huge motivation 
and love for his language and love for his people and love for the Bible in his own language. And so he just went out, uh, he would just walk into the forest and train people how to read, uh, how they could come to know Christ. He organized congregations, he's training them. And they have a whole uh, group of teachers and uh, lay preachers and leaders who only use the Kesey Bible. They've That's not had fantastic. any other education, yeah. but they've, they've developed this curriculum and how to train them in reading and writing of Kesey. And, and uh, even though he, Pastor Bundo, had no role in making the Kesey Bible, he's like on the, the user end, on the promotion yeah. end and the teaching end. And uh, that's another, you know, Bible that took like 40 years to complete because of all the civil wars and disruptions and so forth. But it's a a complete Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and is such a, you know, God is using that. uh, And that that really is why Lutheran Bible translators exist, so that uh, God's word goes forth and touches people's lives. Yeah, what a privilege to see the fruit of that work. I think that's one of the the things about Bible translation is the process itself can take a while, but then the it the seeds taking root and 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 growing also takes a while. So it's a privilege to be able to see some of that work at the beginning and now how it's it's bearing fruit. And this is the same Pastor Bunda who's now the president of the the Christ Evangelical Lutheran Church, right, in Sierra Leone? Yes, so, yes, yeah. that's correct. So, Jim, you've got a lot of experience. You've seen a lot of things, and, and I think one of the privileges of being and working in mission and cross-culture is just a, a bigger perspective. And uh, one of the, the gifts that we can give to the church is to kind of speak into the church at, from a, a perspective of having seen a different horizon. What do you think is an important message that the Western church needs to hear today? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, you know, one thing that comes to mind, uh, one of the blessings that I had by by living and, and working in a, a uh, mission context internationally is that I learned from my brothers and sisters in Christ that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God is God, and I'm yeah. not. <laughs> and and that he can work all things out for good eventually, uh, even when there's uh, hardship, even when there's uh, war, even when uh, people have lost their life uh, uh, through unjust means. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, my long experience in Liberia just, when I think back, uh, these are some of the strongest sort of bonds of friendship that that uh, I have. And yet uh, all Liberians the, that I know, they just have this sense of, uh, you know, a very common greeting there. It says, well, how are you? And they'll respond saying, I thank God for life. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, it, it acknowledges that by God's grace, here we see another day. Yeah. Uh, this this day and breathing and living and walking is a gift from God. And let's thank God for it. And so that sort of God perspective is uh, is already there. And as a Christian, I can say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do not need to worry. I do not need to be the one to solve every problem. <laughs> I can call upon God to 
for his protection, I can call upon God uh, for, uh, maybe not calling upon God, but just thanking God for the mm-hmm. way he protects and placing myself into his hands, knowing that he uh, cares for me. And if something bad happens to me, he knows about it. <laughs> and uh, and certainly there, through the years, there have been things that have, have been bad <laughs> yeah. that have happened to us. And also for, you know, friends that I've known through the years. And yet this notion of, well, God is sovereign. He can and will work all things out for good. That's something that I find reassuring. And I think the Christian church here in the West can do well to to study and reflect and, and ask God to teach us that. Yeah, that's so true. I think that... Um... We have the perception that quite a bit is under our control to to you know manipulate the situation or make it turn out our way, and then situations arise that prove that not to be the case. And the current situation for some folks, uh, even right now, and and the coronavirus situation in the states is something that I think has had the effect of removing that that facade that we actually had control. But when you go to places like Liberia. Um, you see that that's how that's how people live every day, and so their relationship with with Christ just moves them that much closer, and that they just have to be more conscious of their dependence on God. That's really important. Well, that and our dependence upon one another too. Yeah. And uh, I I remember one time uh, we my and my family were I can't remember all the circumstances, but we were uh, had gotten up to uh, one of the regional headquarter cities and we were to catch a flight in Liberia to go down to Monrovia and the flight was canceled and we were just kind of stuck there. It's like, okay, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. And so we knew some other missionary people and we went there and said, oh no, but we really don't have any place we can go. And then we went to uh, then one of the pastors I worked with on the Grable Translation, in fact, uh, I then, uh, you know, this was before the day of cell phones. We just had to like sure, say, yeah. okay, where where does Pastor C D live? And we'd walk there. You know? Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and he says, well, we're kind of stuck here. He says, no, come on in. You know, and his family just opened their doors. And uh, I and my uh, my wife and three boys, and they had young bo- school-age boys as well. And they just had a great time <laughs> playing. And we were actually stuck there for about two days before we were able to get another flight. But you know, that learning to be dependent on one another, to care for one another in, uh, as uh, fellow Christians, as fellow human beings, was just meant so much. It was, we were on the receiving end, and yeah. it just created a, a very tight bond of, uh, of friendship and uh, that still lasts uh, all of our days. That's really great. So now I don't know how it was in, in the time where you were first thinking about getting connected to LBT or to do mission work. But in today's world, it seems like there's just a proliferation of opportunities to be involved in different causes and things in the world um, called mission. And, and they're all you know, a number of really good things. But if somebody's thinking about why they should get involved in mission or how they should get involved in mission why why is bible translation ministry an important way to go about doing that yeah so for me i have to say one of the things that made sense to me was well this is the bible and Mm -hmm. of course i uh, 
grew up with the Bible. Uh, went to a Lutheran school for a number of years and uh, studied, but it actually uh, what really changed my sort of whole perspective on the Bible and God's word was being challenged to actually read it. <laughs> and okay. yeah. and uh, so not just study for the test, so to speak, but to like read it and say, okay, I'm listening, Lord, what are you saying here to me? And, and uh, it was in my uh, sort of formative years in high school, actually. And I made this commitment to read through the whole new Testament. Uh, and if you do one chapter a day, you'll get through it in a year. Okay. Uh, or less than a year. And I just made that commitment and I read it in a translation, a, a more modern English translation. And, uh, it was just amazing to see that, oh, this is that story, and here's what God is saying. And uh, some, it just sort of changed perspective. It just uh, gave me a different way of uh, looking at life and what my purpose was in life. And so I guess my first word of advice would be, well, listen to what God is telling you uh, through the scriptures yeah. and then uh, through any other means also. I think, uh, I, you know, God spoke to me by, through John Dutzman, who said, hey, why don't you just go give this a try? <laughs> you sure. know, see what opportunity and door opens. And uh, so that would be my, my word of advice is to, you know, listen to what God, God is speaking to you. And... Uh, when you see an opportunity that you think you should try out, then do that and see what God, whether he opens that door or closes that door. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I, I think that's uh, important to listen to the folks that uh, God puts in our life. I love that somebody challenged you to read through the scripture. I mean, that is, that's really powerful. I can think of so many times where, I've gotten out of the rhythm of regular reading and and get back to it. And when I do, I think, why have I not been doing this? You know, the God's word is is living and active. It's not just words on the page. And so that's a that's a great encouragement. Maybe even in this time for somebody who's out there listening, maybe this is a time where you could uh, also get back to or or for the first time take up reading the scripture, even in bite sized pieces, and and discover for yourself how God works through His word. And I, I think that's a a huge motivation for why we do what we do. If we experience that, then for me, that was one of the drivers that said, well, I, I want other people to have this chance too. The other thing about scripture is that it's, it, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. Yeah. You know, God's spirit is our teacher. So there's always something new that the spirit can teach. Uh, just during this past Easter season, I was like reading the, the Easter story and, you know, just like there was this little illumination, you know, a little yeah. light bulb going on about, oh, I never saw that before. Right. You know, <laughs> and hey, I'll tell you what it is. It was just, uh, I think, when the, the two ladies went to the tomb on Easter morning and it said they left the, the tomb in with fear mm-hmm. and joy. And then soon after that, they meet Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, don't fear. Don't fear. You know, go and tell right. the others. Yeah. And then they left with joy. It's like they left their fear behind. That's you awesome. know, Jesus took their fear. And, yeah. you know, that's and it was just a, a really neat insight. And, you know, God will illuminate and show us the things that 
that are important to us. And so it, it was important to me to hear that this Easter, you know, don't yeah. fear, <laughs> but uh, let's be joyful. That's so great. And Jim, I think on that note, that's a good uh, place to end. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast with us, sharing some of your experience and just a real privilege to work with you, to have learned from you and uh, to have been able to share in God's ministry together with you. All right, Rich, it's been a great experience. Thank you. Thanks to Jim Lash for being our guest on the podcast today. As this podcast is being released, a number of us are looking forward to getting back to some sense of normal activity. A challenge that Jim brings to me is that reminder not to lose those habits I restarted during this season to be more intentional about timing God's word and prayer. In the same way someone challenged him in his youth to regularly read the Bible and to experience the Spirit at work through the Word, I want to encourage you to do the same in this season. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past issues of the podcast at lbt.org podcasts or on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to www.lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson. Executive producer is Amy Gertz. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Radowski. So long for now.